Before we begin, let's be honest. I know you want to buy more books. Did you know that you can buy books and help this very podcast at the same time? It's true. I'm not lying. Go to the restlesspodcast.com and visit the book recommendations tab. You'll find there a recommended reading list from us on topics like Reformed theology, Christian living, ecclesiology, as well as a top five list from both Matt and I. And we're going to be adding more books as we're able to uh, whenever we get a chance. If you follow the links on the page and buy the book from Amazon, we get a kickback from that purchase. So go ahead, treat yourself, listen to me, I'm a pastor, go buy yourself a book with our links and support the show. This is Restless. Welcome back to Restless, a postmortem on the young, restless, and reformed. I am your host, Matt Klein. I am joined by Pastor Michael. And tonight we are actually doing something very postmortem-y. Pastor Michael, welcome back to Restless. I'm here. I'm ready. Um, I'm still technically on vacation. So this is like a special vacation episode for me. So you're catching me at maybe my, you know, most relaxed or uh, I don't know if that's really true, but, but for sure I'm ready, right? I'm, I'm as ready as ever. Well, Pastor Michael, I, I hate to do this to you, to, to take you from vacation and perhaps put you a little bit more on edge because tonight we are going to discuss if, there are going to be any new Calvinist pastors left. <laughs> they, they have been uh, fallen like flies over the years. Let's put it that way. Um, it, it is wild just to think back, back in, you know, if we go back to 2010, 2011, uh, a time like that, when, you know, these names were huge, it was kind of, you know, it was at that peak where things were about to, you know, I can't remember the exact, you know, timeline that, uh, we've kind of walked through, but it just seems like we were at this peak at one point where you know, you've got everyone, everyone's in business. You've got the Mark Driscoll's, Matt Chandler's, uh, whoever else, uh, Darren Greer, Patrick, Darren Patrick, yep. Joshua Harris, yeah. CJ Mahaney, right? Who's, uh, who's the, uh, sanctification guy or lack thereof? What's, uh, free grace, Chavidian. Oh, uh, yep. yeah. So like just all these guys, I feel like, for, and maybe that timeline, maybe saying those years isn't quite right, but there was this time right in there where every, like, it's like, man, they're all there. And now boom, 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 boom. Right. Like they're just, they're just going Kevin DeYoung, please don't, please don't do that please to so. us. <laughs> yep. So the, the reason we are discussing this is because over the weekend uh, at their Sunday service at the village church, Matt Chandler and the, other lead pastor of the church again sorry these sorry, sorry this sorry, isn't about no, this isn't about this but this that. isn't about this but you guys use made up <laughs> pastor terms so um uh announced that he would be stepping down due to a failure in character now i want to just say um we are not going to discuss in depth the character or lack thereof of matt chandler um, and nor the, the other thing, Pastor Michael, I was thinking about in doing the show is everyone just being like, don't you just think you should just be praying for them and, and, you know, you know, thinking about them in this hard time. And that's certainly not a wrong thing, but I I've realized like, dude, we kind of make a show. And so this isn't like the, this isn't a, the ecclesiastical, like spiritual, you know, involvement. Right. Hmm. Um, and then two, like the, the because we make a show, we we want to make sure we're recognizing our limits to not speak beyond into things we actually shouldn't and don't know a lot about. Um, right. But yeah. But and the, so maybe I mean, can we just say, you know, what exactly this, you know, something has come out and that's the thing, right? Like we're not adjudicating this. We're not. Right we're not watching over Matt Chandler. We're not, you know, nope. we're, we're not condemning him. We're not doing any of that. We just like what has been reported is that Matt Chandler had what an unwise relationship with a woman on Instagram where he was just familiar 
His wife evidently knew about this from what has been reported and said, uh, what he said um, at this, you know, kind of public, public uh, meeting. It was not sexual in nature is what, you know, was said. And uh, it just once it came to light and somebody kind of, you know, uh, spoke out to him about it, a friend of this woman he was friends with, I guess. Uh, and then the elders looked into it um, after he came to them. And uh, evidently they think he should step down because of coarse joking and uh, familiarity that he had with this woman that just didn't seem wise. That's that's yeah. kind of what has come out and what has been said. Yeah, again, I think the close, right, there's some kind of overly emotionally close relationship, comments that shouldn't be made. Uh, I don't know if it's across genders or just in general, right? They, and they haven't released that because, again, all we're going off is a Christianity Today article that was posted. And obviously today, if you have the Internet, you can find the video of this live stream service because every service now in America is live streamed. You can watch this exact explanation um he is not um fired from being the pastor that perhaps is the only other thing we should add uh he is stepping down for disciplinary action and a time yeah, kind of indefinitely of right like yep, maybe he'll come back maybe he won't and you know probably we'll just see right so we, we we will see what happens so what about this made me made me think about this is this I just this idea of man, are there going to be any new Calvinists left standing? Because we're getting it's becoming a smaller and smaller group as this happens. Now, Pastor Michael, there's one thing I, I want to notice, and then I want to because I know you and your wife talked about this for a little bit, and so I want to hear a little bit about how this what you guys thought about this, but. The first thing we should note about these failures is I do think there seems to be a pretty significant age gap divide in new Calvinists falling and new Calvinists not falling. John Piper and older seem to be doing actually pretty fine. Mm. Younger, uh, younger than Mark, De we'll say if you're younger than Mark Dever, a lot of heartache a lot of failure i mean and then we don't even need to like get into like people who seem to have compromised on issues that they shouldn't have right but i i don't know i don't know if that's interesting i don't know if there's anything to that i it, again we're going to talk about if there's something in new calvinisms that's causing this and that would be for me one reason to think that there might be because that would mean all of the men and all the leaders who spent time in churches, spent time doing all these normal things before all of this existed are doing, are handling things, have seemed to handle things much better over yeah. time. Than yeah, I wonder if it's just kind of like, a, even as you say it, I think, you know, um, is part of it just a bias of kind of category where i mean the only guys that are left mm. when they're sure. older are the guys who haven't fallen right just by That's very true. uh definition and yeah. so is it that you know the guys who were around them back in the day well they are gone also what do you count you know as as falling is it uh you know a weird view of faith and and uh you know it's uh, connection to your justification and your affections and how they justify you, um, which, you know, some older have <laughs> maybe uh, walked yep, into. Yep, that's true. So, you know, anyway, but uh, what I'm actually thinking um, while you're talking is trying to think through how many of these people that we named at the beginning of this episode uh, were really young when they got started. Mm. And uh, I thought right away of first Timothy three, when we're give, given the qualifications for elders uh, and it says in verse six, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. And, you know, I'm not saying that this is uh, 
you know, everything, but it keeps going. It says, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So in the case of many, um, I'm thinking of, you know, you see this for sure with Joshua Harris. I mean, he was just like this, you know, wonder kid uh, that, you know, is, is put into the spotlight really young, but even with Driscoll, I mean, this, with is Chandler, Driscoll's this is Driscoll's claim to fame. This is pretty much Chandler's claim to fame, right? Yep. Driscoll's like, Hey, I was never a member of a church. So I exactly. thought it'd be a great idea to start one. Yes. Well, and right. And even Matt Chandler has publicly talked about his own, you know, I mean, it's very like, it's very much a, I was saved and then I got into ministry and now I have this giant church. Right. Right. Like that's kind of the progression that we've gone on. And I'm not saying, um, you know, that this is that all those are the same case, right? Joshua Harris, right. Matt Chandler, Mark Driscoll, they're not in the same category. None of the three, right? They're, right. they're not the same. Um, I'm also not saying that this is necessarily uh, what happened, that they were just too young. They were recent converts and they shouldn't have been put in positions too so early. But I do think that that is something to consider. Mm. I also yeah. think, by the way, this is maybe an aside that doesn't need to be here, but I've been thinking about this. Tell me what you think about this. But, you know, some, when we think about um, being, you know, young and a recent convert, um, I've thought about that in terms of, of understanding, you know, uh, generational and covenantal faithfulness mm. where, you know, when you have somebody who has multiple generations of faith behind them, right? Yep. Solid families, solid godly people raised in places where they just, they, they already have the categories of a biblical worldview from the start, right? They have many of the virtues being ingrained in them from the start, from the get-go, from the point of their birth um, versus those who, you know, for no, like not their own fault, right? But we live in a world that is covenantal. And so it's not just about what you personally decide and choose, but also what has been chosen uh, before and, and uh, by those who are, are, you know, um, head over you. Uh, but those who grow up in places where, you know, hey, they're converted um, and maybe even converted at a young age and they've been converted for a while, but they have just a massive amount of of trauma or other issues stemming from a completely broken, completely unbelieving household and maybe many generations of that. Mm. Um in that case, I think that this passage actually says something to that too. Um, not to say that somebody in that position could never be an elder. Um, I don't think it says that at all. I think we probably could find examples in scripture of those who are, who are, you know, pretty, uh, pretty young in that sense. Um, and yet I do think that, uh, that this gives us some wisdom, some guidance, even in that area, um, at least as a secondary application. So all this is to say that, Thinking in terms of those who are put into positions of authority when they're really young. How old is Matt Chandler right now? Good question. 40s? Matt Chandler, born 1974. So he is now, I guess, fifth, just, uh, yeah, late, late, uh, very late 40s. Yep. Late 40s, just 50. I mean, you know, he has been in. Uh, a position of pretty significant influence, popularity, authority, responsibility uh, for a very long time, mm -hmm. uh, but also came into that very quickly, you know, while he was still pretty young. Right. Um, and that like that actually, I think, is, you know, it's it's one of one of the things that I think is is affecting how we see this. Yeah. And I, I think there's more too, um, but I'll, I'll stop there for now and we can get into more of it after a bit. Well, yeah, let me just say, I do think there is. So I do, I think that there are a few things you brought up that are important. Let me just say, number one, I do think a lot of, and this is why we're having this conversation because of a lot of the attempts to dump on all the new Calvinists as what's wrong with everything is really reductive because 
Driscoll, Joshua Harris, Tulian Chavijan, and Matt Chandler situations are very unlike in so circumstance. Um, and, you know, obviously they are, we, we, we talk about them together simply because we have made this category of right. the young restless reform leaders that, right. you know, they just, we put them together, but they are not the same. Right. Um, and so I think that that that's, I mean, that is really the, one of the big things we're going to be talking about here, but um, I do think the, another thing you brought up, which is important is this, um, this idea of not um, promoting a new convert, which I think is a thing that could connect to a, a number of these stories. And I do think there is definitely something to this idea of, of the person's spiritual background again this is the this is the exact reverse from evangelicalism the fact that you have come from a christian home and these things are actually should be considered an asset should be considered a um a kind of grace a kind of way god has prepared you for ministry instead of basically the opposite of that that if you were radically saved two weeks ago that is actually the sign we're ready to follow you because probably there's a lot of excitement a lot of energy and because the example we actually have in timothy timothy is still a relatively young man who's receiving that letter but what else do we learn about timothy the scriptures which you learned from your mother and grandmother yeah there is a timothy has a seemingly deep relationship and obviously if we're talking two generations deep uh this is jewish right they're jewish on this side um obviously we think his father was an unbelieving greek man but there is a there is a depth there that paul says and again because it's covenantal it's not an automatic thing it's not ex opera operato it's these people were part of god's people they participated you were brought into that and that this has been a thing um, bearing fruit. And so as you as you heard about this, I just want to hear a little bit about um, what you and your wife kind of talked about thinking about uh, Matt Chandler. Um, then we can do, I don't know, a few of the issues I think this raises. We won't spend too much time on anyone because we don't really, um, again, we don't really know. But I think there are potential pitfalls it at least points out. And then we'll talk about if this is new Calvinism's fault or if this is some uh, some other uh, explanation is better. Yeah, so I was, you know, I at one point this was first, you know, I first saw this because it was shared in our patrons telegram group. Um, shout out to our Patreon. You can uh, go and find that. But uh you know, I looked at my phone at one point after not having looked at it for a while, and there were 50 messages on Telegram that I was like, oh, what in the world happened? You know, <laughs> it was just kind of like all of a sudden it just exploded. And so I looked and this was at the top. Um, somebody shared that, you know, uh, this this thing had happened with Matt Chandler. And at first I just assumed it was going to be just like every other. Right. Oh, man, it's a it's a huge, you know, huge thing. And we just don't know. Right. So I don't want to comment like, oh, yeah you know, this is a nothing burger or it's, it's this huge deal. I don't know, but, you know, comparatively um, to other, you know, recent scandals at this point, I'm going to put that proviso at this point, it seems mild, um, you know, in the sense that it's not, it's not a map, you know, he wasn't, this isn't a, you know, a situation where he was caught by police, you know, uh, with prostitutes or something, you know, like that, that right, has happened right. within the evangelical world. Right. That's not what happened. Okay. You know, it's at least, you know, uh, not quite uh, so extreme, but it did just, you know, bring up conversation and uh, you know, we were talking about how we're going to do this episode and what we would talk about, because we don't want to talk so much about the specifics of the case or the specifics of Matt Chandler himself. But one of the things I said to my wife and, you know, we were just chatting about it is that, you know, I have trouble. I have trouble seeing how somebody in the kind of position that Matt Chandler is in, with so much notoriety, 
Um, and so much, you know, uh, so much recognition. Um, he's, he's a well-known person. You know, I saw, I, you know, I don't know, uh, I don't remember what the number is, but uh, I saw somewhere, I think it was in the article, it had either a, you know, a, it showed his Instagram or they said it outright, uh, but it talked about how many Instagram followers he has. And this evidently happened on Instagram. And it was a lot. I mean, it was over 100,000. It was like 180,000 or something like that. Um, don't quote me on that because I could be totally off on it. Um, you could probably look it up pretty quick, actually. Um, if you want to look that up and and let me know how many uh, followers Matt Chandler has. But uh, but it's a lot, a lot of people. And I just thought, you know, one of the things I said to my wife is I can't imagine being somebody in that kind of position, right? Uh, you know, a well-known guy with influence, very confident. Um, you know, he's a good looking guy. And there's not a handful of people within that 180,000 that would be willing to be like shoot a DM and tempt him, right? Like I, I can't imagine being in that kind of a position. It's 135,000. 135, yeah. So I said 180, I was wrong. But still, it was over 100,000. Right, right. And like, that's a lot of people. And it's actually in some sense, you know, it's an almost inhuman amount of people because you can't, you can't know that many people. You can't relate to that many people, uh, but they can see what you're doing, follow you, and they can send a message directly to you. Right. And the, you know, just one, one of the things, you know, I talked about was just the unbelievable amount of temptation that somebody like that would be in this. We've talked about this in the past, but this is one of the things that I think, you know, also uh, connects to why so many, particularly these younger guys seem to fall into various things. Um, it just like the technology that we have um, being really new. I mean, it is still new. We are still um, kind of at the beginning of, you know, the advent of the internet and now smartphone technology and things like that. But the fact that like I have a smartphone, I have a computer and a smartphone right next to me. And like right now I could go anywhere on the internet, right? I could, I could uh, look at things that are just absolutely despicable. I could, um, you know, go and get on uh, any kind of social media and reach out to just an unbelievable amount of people. Like temptation is everywhere. Right. In that sense. Right. And when you're a person in, in, in a place of significant uh, authority, influence, notoriety, um, the chances that those temptations are going to come to you, I think grows when it, at least on right. social media and the internet. And so I told my wife, I was just like, I don't like, I just, it's hard for me to think of how somebody could be in that position and not fall. Like that's the grace to me. That's mm. the, that's mm. the amazing thing yeah. when that happens to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're getting at one of the, one of the big issues that I wanted to, that I think that this calls on is it's the, it, this just calls on the relationship to the internet and how big of a huge, huge temptation, huge issue it is. And I think that that frames it uh, perfectly. And yeah, I mean, man, it is, it is, it's hard to imagine how great a temptation um, there would be, there constantly would be. And let's wait here. So, you know, I mean, when we talk about this kind of stuff, we always think, you know, in terms of like, uh, you know, sexual temptation. But here they said, let's just take it at face value. You know, they said, hey, there was nothing like overtly sexual about this. There's just this like over like too close emotional relationship between this man and this woman who are not married and who are both married uh, and uh, this closeness, like even that, like even, you know, um, the fact that we have the Internet and it's not just like you and the hundred people, 200 people most directly around you, whether it be in your church, whether it be, you know, at your place of work, you know, wherever. Um, like just the chances that you as a married person could find somebody that you have really great chemistry with just a natural chemistry, right? Mm -hmm. Just natural relational, uh, you know, you just mesh really well together. Um, that like that you, you could find that very easily with that amount of people, right. you know what I mean? 
Um, And that is not something that would have been normal when you have, hey, it's just the like, it's just the village pastor. And there's just, you know, the 500 people or whatever in town. Um, It still might happen, but it's it's just not as likely, it seems to me. Um, Whereas this kind of thing, it just becomes so much more um, possible, at least to a certain extent, when you add in the Internet. So the other thing this brings up is the we often say women need pastors, too. But we also see here, especially in our current time, the difficulty of it, the again, all these things that could go wrong. And it actually reminds me of a. Uh, memory maybe i've shared this on the show of when i was first married um so i've been married uh more than like 10 years now and when i was first married uh this uh i met this christian woman on an internship right i got married young i was 21 and this girl and i we got along right um you know she was stoked i was planning on proposing to my wife you know while i was at this internship right i was there saving money right to get an engagement ring for my wife who i'm married to um and yeah it was great and so me and this woman and another guy right there were like four of us that we were just all good friends right um and she and the guy who's my roommate came to our wedding which was cool right you know great that they uh came to our wedding and and I don't remember why, but I was texting her after I was married and I was texting her about something going on. And she just texted me back like, hey, you know, hey, it's good to hear from you, but you're married. So we're probably not going to text like this anymore. And just like was like a very and I'm sitting like on the couch next to my wife as I get this message. And I was like. I just looked at my I, I talked to my wife and I was like. So I'm pretty sure I just was talking to a woman who is the kind of woman that a, a reasonable, a reasonably, um, you know, whatever guarded relationship, friendship would be possible. But because she has that kind of character, she's shutting it off right here. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Hey, and this I- is. This is another thing my wife and I talked about, too, is that, you know, we we talked about, okay, where is right? Where's that line? Right. Is there any place is there any place where, you know, I could imagine having like uh, some kind of friendship with a woman out like that is not my wife? um, That is something like what we assume was going on again. We don't know what's going on in this situation. Um, and I just couldn't, we, we were like, we were both just trying to like figure out like, is there even like, what about like, you know, um, there's a, you know, if there's like a widow, uh, you know, nearby and, you know, you meet them and, you know, they become like a, a mom to you or something. But even that, my wife and I were just like, but even there, like, I can't imagine a situation where there's someone that it's like, I know this person and I'm really close with this person and my wife isn't really a part of it at all right i just can't yeah. imagine that i i don't know how like what that would look like even yeah. at this point point. Um, and, and, and i do think that is part of the solution to women needing pastors right is titus two women told to yes. be brought in um i do think this is multiple elders right like there are lots of ways for there to be healthy relationships healthy pastoral relationships um and I do think actually, and this is not something that's gender specific. Um, it's actually something they at least used to teach at RTS. And I know um, I was talking to the senior pastor at Michael's church when he went to Westminster. This was kind of what they used for him. In talking about relationships that arise from these kinds of pastoral situations, like the one you're describing, I've just heard this general rule of like, hey, you should basically meet with someone about five times on a specific issue. Because beyond that, you can't, this is an issue beyond your ability to help with. And this is a way you prevent any one relationship from just becoming unhealthy in any way, right? An unhealthy, overly dependent relationship, right? Again, Mm. all kinds of things. And this is just the one, one way pastors will often try and um just have general rules that limit those things and that's again not women specific that is just 
how do I make sure my pastoral counsel doesn't veer into unhealthy realms in general, mm. which I think is a thing that can happen. Yeah. In all kinds of circumstances. And obviously because of our overly sexualized culture, we think of that one, right. But there are actually a lot of, there's plenty of room for these things to go wrong. Um, and, and that one is, um, uh, interesting. So let me go to the third issue here that I, that someone pointed out from our, uh, Patreon chat. Um, and so I thought this was a really interesting idea. So the Acts 29, especially the new Calvinist, the, the kind of pulpit presence that these guys have is super familiar, mm. right? It is the man on the street. It is the, I'm just a guy up here. And that there is a, in general, in their, in these ministries. And again, there's something refreshing about it, but that it is very like, yeah, there is, there is right authenticity is what's valued there is we're going to tear down any divide between pastors and members um right you i'm just up here kind of bearing who i am and bringing the word to you uh in a very personal um way that is and that this over familiarity actually may cause seeping out into the relationships they have in a way that is actually unhealthy. So pastor Michael, you are actually a pastor with people. What, what do you think about this? And I, I just at least thought this was a very interesting idea um, in regards to, in, in regards to the, a potential kind of issue that could arise. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm really intrigued by it. I think that they're, is undoubtedly some element of truth even i mean just the the very idea of tearing down barriers right where you know and maybe sometimes that's necessary but um we live in a time where you know just you know just removing any kind of barriers any kind of you know just kind of extreme egalitarian you know we're all on the same level we're all in the same place kind of mentality um and when that uh is followed through on i do think that that could lead to an over familiarity. Hey, we're all just, you know, we're all just close. We're all just friends. We're all, you know, Hey, can't we all just get along and hang out? And, and that may put you in some strange positions. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, thinking about this has been sobering. I mean, this is something that I've, I mean, I've thought about even before I was in, even before I was an ordained minister, um, that, you know, uh, my wife and I would talk about all the time, uh, one of the things I told my wife once is I think that, you know, cause I, one of the things that I do that I'm, I'm not sure, I know some people are able to do this and do this, but I, you know, in many conversations at this point, I think that, um, there are times that I've done this, uh, more than others, um, that I, like, I think that I'm pretty willing to like, look at my sin and not just like, not just like, oh yeah, there's, you know, there's that pride and there's that selfishness and there's, you know, whatever it might be but like look at it and really try to like figure it out. Um, and not, not in a sense to try to justify it, but, uh, but because I want to know what it is that I'm mortifying. Mm. And one of the things I told my wife a long time ago was I was like, like, I think that, you know, if I'm, if I was ever to fall into adultery, it would be basically because of, you know, a kind of over familiarity. But um, what I put it at is it's like it would probably start as just compassion. Right. Or like a like a desire to, hey, I met this woman who's really broken. She's, you know, come from a horrible situation. She's, you know, uh, whatever has happened to her that and I want to help. Right. I want to help. I want to be like a brother. I want to, you know, take care of this person. Uh, but in in desiring to do that, which may not be a, a bad desire at all, um, I do think that sometimes there can be unwise steps that are taken. Um, I remember D.A. Carson, the way that he put this once in a lecture that I sat in on. I, I don't remember if his election is maybe like a chapel service. Um, I don't remember for sure what it was, but he talked about um, uh, how a pastor that he kind of came up under uh, when he was in the ministry, 
uh, always use the line, stay behind the desk. And this was his line of, you know, there's going to be times where you have women from the congregation who come and talk to you and they're crying and you're going to want to go and lay a hand on their shoulder or give them a hug. And his line was stay behind the desk. Right. And I, I don't know that I'm doing justice to everything he said, but D.A. Carson said something like, you know, that saved me many times because that, you know, over familiarity of, hey, I'm just going to be that close, compassionate person. I'm going to come and give you a hug. I'm going to be really like we're going to bond emotionally and I'm going to show you what it's like to have like a, a healthy emotional relationship with a man. Well, all of a sudden, I mean, where does that lead you? That's really right. dangerous, you know, um, and so I think it's really wise to have those boundaries of. Hey, you're not overly familiar. Like, you know, the, the place for the pulpit, for instance, is not maybe to just bear your soul to connect with people in that way. Right. Um, the, the place of the pastor is not necessarily to be just another one of the people, right? Hey, we're just all, we're, we're all in this together in a sense. Yes. Right. We, you don't, you don't want to go to the other extreme right. and just be so stoic and so hard that there's no love between you and the people. Uh, but you also like a, uh, you know, a shepherd and his sheep have a, you know, a very dear and close and wonderful relationship, but it is not one without its clear differences. You know, it's, it's clear uh, boundaries and barriers. Um, and then, you know, uh, along, alongside of that, uh, then too, is having those boundaries and barriers of things like, you know, you said this, Hey, you know, we're going to meet five times, right? We're not, we don't have to keep meeting on on some kind of issue um, or just elements of, you know, when scripture speaks about the discipleship process in the church, it's not something where it's it's just the pastor and he's doing all of this discipleship individually with each person in the church. It's almost not that at all. Right. There's elements of that. But what what pastors and elders are to do is to equip the saints for ministry. And this is why you have uh, older women taking younger women under their care, helping them to, you know, uh, be lovers of husbands and children, keepers of the home, et cetera, in Titus. Um, this is why you have, you know, these, these, uh, other elements of discipleship that are just, they're going to, uh, look there. It's not going to look like I have to have an individual personal relationship with each person, right? I need to go out and spend time with each person on their own. Right. No, you're going to be discipling households. You're going to be discipling, you know, uh, couples. You're going to be working with people in that context, bringing people into your home so that you and your spouse or maybe, you know, you and other elders. Um, there are many ways that you can do that. Uh, but yeah, I think setting up healthy barriers, boundaries, barriers sounds a little harsh. I don't know. But healthy boundaries is such an important and necessary thing, especially in an age when those things are just out of control. Right where chaos is everywhere, relational chaos is everywhere. That's important. That's a way to love people. And and we will, I think, we'll see. I don't think we're going to do it tonight as as our night gets late. But I think we will record a purely Presbyterian on this particular issue in ministry because I actually think it is very interesting to think about how a lot of this preaching style actually is meant to communicate you have a personal relationship with me. Mm -hmm. I'm saying things to you like a personal relationship um, and thinking about how those boundaries would work, how that even works in like the way you speak to people, I do think is a very interesting uh, consideration as I, uh, as I think about things. As, and so we'll, uh, we'll get to that another time. But let's, let's talk about uh, let's make the final turn here was as if this is new Calvinism's fault. Is this a, are all these falls, uh, is this all like, that's right. Everyone who didn't like new Calvinism was right. Whether it be J Mac or the Arminians and the SBC or the TR people, you know, this was, this was always bound to happen because new Calvinism was just that bad. Um, and so uh, let, let's start, we can point out a few of the things about New Calvinism that may have kind of set this kind of stuff up. We already touched on potentially the young leaders um, in it um, and their explosive growth. Um, 
And then we'll talk about what I'll call alternative theories, things that actually aren't really unique to new Calvinism at all, or if they are, they actually would be a credit to it. So, Mm. so here's the first one. And this is one we have discussed uh, at, at length, which is um, the polity of new Calvinism, where the uh, pastor is in many ways given a ceo and the elders right he is a ceo with a board right even if that is kind of a thing that that they are set up in a way that is going to be uh long term put people in positions uh where if they're good intentioned temptation can overtake them or people can get to positions of possible abuse yeah, I think so, right? I, I was going to call this the the guy theology mm, or ecclesiology yeah. where like you're the guy, right? And that's why you have to have multiple screens in different places, but it's just you instead of having other pastors that you train up or or what have you. You're you are the guy. And um you know, like you said we've talked about this a lot, but but anytime uh, you have a system that just builds itself around personality, particularly one, one personality. I think you are much more prone to uh, this kind of fall. Although that, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily true. I, in some ways you're, you're more prone to it. um, But maybe part of that is just that we, we see it more easily too, because you're the guy when it, when it all comes down, that becomes very obvious. Sorry, I was just checking on something quick, but keep going. About- oh, I finished. I okay. I kept going while you were gone. Great. So yeah, just yeah. I mean, uh, when it's all kind of centered around you and your personality, that is that's asking for trouble. Both in two ways. I'll add to what I said while you were gone. Um, on the one hand, uh, for you, right, because it builds you up. It 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 creates a situation where. Um, you can more easily be narcissistic about what's mm-hmm. going on and that can make it more, uh, it can make it easier for you to justify. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've got a lot on my plate. I, you know, I need to, I really connect with this woman. I need to, you know, reach out to her and just talk. Cause it really helps me, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, I'm really, you know, I am this important. Um, and so, you know, is it going to be that big of a deal? Uh, you know, David fell into, uh, adultery. Why can't I, right? Like there's, there's just ways that if it's centered around you, that can become a problem for you individually and you can start to justify sin. On the other hand, I also think it can be a problem, uh, in creating temptation where others see you in that position. Um, and the reality is that, uh, a man in that kind of position of, of, power authority you know i mean he he is uh very attractive to a lot of people mm-hmm. um simply by nature yeah. of his position even uh and so that's just going to at least lead to the potential maybe it won't always happen but it's going to lead to the potential um for those who might approach him send him that dm that might be you know seemingly innocent at first but um there's something behind it in the heart that there is this kind of uh, desire for that person that is not right you know i know we are we're not going to be able to do this in the interesting way that uh a lot of critics of new calvinism would be that talking about well it's really complementarianism or a lot you know a lot of these things that are at fault i think one others and uh and then pastor michael if you do think there's any potential theological uh thing going on that could lead to it i think another one is the um, all the ways that new Calvinism was, and we talked about this, even when John Piper described the new Calvinism versus the old, where it was like, Hey, we're kind of, we're kind of detaching ourselves from all these like things we don't consider essential trappings of the reformed church. And I think that, um, this, this detaching from the reformed tradition was detaching itself from a lot of the built-in boundaries, the mm. built-in understanding of the role of the pastor, the built-in all the way, like these generational kind of guardrails yeah. that prevented certain kinds of ministry. And again, sometimes should be questioned as times change, right? That's fine. 
but that that was like basically the ethos is like we're not doing any of that as a positive well if there's a lot of inherit if there is inherited wisdom in any of those and you've said we're done with all of that then it is an opening to potential mm-hmm. problems yeah do you think there's anything could you would you point out anything theological do you have anything uh that we would point out you know i can't i can't think of anything um specific that i would point to that would you know again kind of lead to this sort of thing yeah Um, you know maybe you know the one thing we've talked a bit about you know when we talked about the you know jesus wants the rose Mm. uh kind of sermon uh where you know it's almost this you saw this a lot with mark driscoll too where very often within the preaching. And again, I don't know if you'd say this is theological, uh, but within this kind of typical way of, of speaking about yourself within sermons all the time. Um, it very often you were talking about how stupid all these other guys are, but look at the way that I did this right thing, right? Oh, that dumb pastor who said, yeah, who would want this rose, you know, and he hurt this woman but not me, right? Like I'm the, I'm the kind of man that would stand up for this poor woman and say, Jesus wants the rose, you know, like I'm, I'm the one that would stand in the place to like, you know, make it clear that, that um, I would defend her Um, or Mark Driscoll would often do this where, you know, he's, you know, you stupid guys who are just horrible to your, you know, wives and women, you should be more like me, right? Look at all these ways that I do things. Look at how me and my wife do this. Um, and so in, in setting yourself up as the standard for manhood, for masculinity and what biblical masculinity look like, um, you are setting up a situation where people are supposed to desire you and desire relationship with you and be attracted to you. And they're supposed to want that in uh, the men around them. And, and I think that, and again, I think here's the reason it's okay if we don't have a theological thing to, a specifically theological thing. Because ecclesiology matters. Ecclesiology is theological. The Bible does tell us how to do it. It's because the sin nature of humans is a good enough explanation to explain how sin bubbles up. Like sometimes there isn't a worldview, you know, implication of these things. But so if those are potentially very new Calvinist things, let me propose a few that would be like, Oh, let me give one more New Calvinist thing that actually paints New Calvinism in a better light. New Calvinist leaders, uh, elders around them or other leaders, and we we think maybe in Matt Chandler's case, these kinds of, this kind of group of people is actually just more likely to admit it and try and hold their leaders to account, even though Mm. they probably don't have all the systems to do it. That, that then the broader, whatever you want to call it, evangelical, whatever the like, you know, popular Protestant churches, these churches, the leaders are more likely to admit it and they're more likely to attempt to hold them to account. And that's why we see it more. That's a, that's a potential and it would be a positive for them. So here are a few things that would make it like, hey, totally not unique to New Calvinism. Um So the one is, especially regarding the internet, it's one you've alluded to already, Pastor Michael, that celebrities are much more likely than normal people to stumble into these kinds of failures. What do you think about this as a potential um, alternative explanation? Um, I think there's some truth to it, but I also want to... Uh, side a little bit with Joshua Harris in uh, his critique of Mike Cosper always bringing up the celebrity issue and say, um, I think it's, it's a little bit of a cop out to even just like talk about as a celebrity issue. It's just an all of us issue right now. Um, I do think there's a sense in which, again, I mean, when you have a position of significant influence and notoriety, um, the chances that somebody in, you know, uh, 70 followers on Twitter or on 
Instagram is going to DM you and say, hey, I really like, you know, hey, I really loved the sermon. I'd love to, you know, just chat more. You know, here's right. this here's this little story. And then you kind of get into a conversation and then, hey, well, why don't we just like meet sometime? Because this is really nice. And, you know, the chances that that happens in a small group versus 135,000 Instagram followers, that's just I mean, the the chances seem so much more. It just seems so much more likely to me um, that that would happen in that sense. But also, I mean, the thing I keep thinking is, man, I mean, this is everybody knows somebody that's done this kind of thing. Right. Like just their friends, you know, of people in their church, people, uh, people who uh, they work with who have just trashed their marriages or relationships because they started talking to somebody else or they, you know, they were working with somebody and they got involved in a relationship, you know, even if it wasn't sexual, that was just it was uh, just emotionally strength. You know, they're more connected to somebody they work with uh, than they are to their spouse or what have you. Um, this is, I mean, this is everywhere. It's just everywhere. Yeah. And uh, in that sense, I, I think we should have a lot of grace in that, like, this is a massive problem that's just all over the place. Um, and yeah. at the same time, recognize the danger in that for each of us. Yeah, I think that so you I do think there is a problem with just calling it the celebrity problem is that it is just again, the re if we don't think normal people have these things happen to them so often, it's actually not because people listening here don't know churches where this totally happened or the church you're in had a pastor where this totally happened or multiple churches around you. It's just that because of how celebrity works, the only ones we all can talk about all together are the ones where it was a celebrity, yes. right? Right. But in fact, there are many of us have dozens of examples of local uh, pastors and ministries where this happened. And so I, I agree with that. I also think you brought up the second one, which is if there, if this isn't a specifically new Calvinist problem, it's probably because it's just the answer is it's just such a wide scale problem across all of the church. It's just all over. And so this isn't unique. It's just the particular, whatever theological tribe we came out of where we can see it. Yeah. And, and it's not just the church, right? I mean, it's, right. it's, it's everywhere in the culture. If you want to like, just look up the statistics of inappropriate relationships that go on in public schools or, you know, things like that uh, between teachers and students, like, it's just, it's, it's uh, ubiquitous across our right. culture. Now that like the reason we talk about it in the church is because it is, it is much more grievous when we who follow Christ and who, especially those who as pastors represent Christ very publicly, um, that they fall into this, that is, uh, in that sense, more egregious. Yes. Um, but it, it's, you know, it's just, it is everywhere. I mean, this is a, this is a massive pit that we as a culture have dug for many generations at this point. And the chances of falling into it just seem like, um, not, it's not inevitable. I don't want to sound like it's inevitable. Um, but it is, a very clear and present danger. Right, right. I do think it is true, right, that pretty much every Western institution is riddled with this. And the church, you know, actually probably on a on an actual per capita basis is a much quote unquote safer place, better place for these things. Here's the here's the thing I think as we close that that um, when I think about when I was thinking about this and I go, wow, who I'm actually praying for, you know, um, as I talked about that, you know, this, this, this isn't the, this, but this specific, very remote by internet pastor that, you know, whatever that I don't have much connection to, this is what it made me really think about is I think the reason, one of the reasons this is such a huge bummer for those people listening to our show, right? who became reformed through these kinds of influences, probably like me, remember when Matt Chandler had cancer, remember the like gut busting sermons he was willing to preach through that time. Uh, now, you know, it's since that point I had, I have not listened to him really at all, but 
what is what is such a bummer when we see all of this happen is the the popular the popularization of calvinism and reformed writers and all of these things taking hold in all these places we see that and as again pastor michael and i coming from a pretty strong pretty staunch confessional perspective go yeah yeah we're not this isn't all there but it is better right this is better these are changes for the better these aren't this isn't the the historic reform faith this isn't full-throated but this is just genuinely better in so many ways and all the ways we're watching it seem like it's pretty clearly not going to be able to hold on and take hold are sad right um for that reason and so this is what i thought of it is if you're a listener today and you're still in a what we would call basically new calvinist church you're in a acts 29 church you're in a church that is basically not denominational but tries to sing the theologically better songs and preach reformed sermons and these kinds of things man i care about your church and praying for your church because i don't want your church or my church not that the uh reformed church in je- not that reformed churches are shielded from these things but i just think man i don't want it to i don't want reformed theology to lose its hold Hmm. yeah so that's that's my very un-tr take right i know the tr person would say nah we should want no one to care about any of these things again so we can go back to you know doing them ourselves uninterrupted together but and a total obscurity within the evangelical world (laughs) right exactly Uh, no i yeah and i honestly that when every time this kind of thing happens and this is, you know, again, it's, you know, I was talking about it with my wife because we talk about this, uh, you know, often when these sorts of things happen, but uh, pray for your pastors, right. And, and for you, right. I mean, pray, pray that God would give uh, each of us uh, uh, a deep and true love for him and, and love for others that is, is proper and within its bounds um, that we would have relationships that are, proper uh, as you know uh, Paul speaks about the household of God in first Timothy and says you you know being a younger man you should see older men as fathers and older women as mothers and younger women as uh, sisters uh, in all purity and that we would have these deep and real and true relationships together as the household of God as brothers and sisters fathers and mothers but that they would be, uh, they would not be tainted with uh, the various ways that our sins can taint those relationships. But pray for pray for your pastors. Pray for pray for those men in these positions of significant uh, influence and authority. It's never a good thing when this happens. It's never a time to rejoice because you know Matt Chandler did all those woke sermons or whatever, you know, it, you know, like this is a, it's a devastating thing. And if you're in a position of leadership and, and authority, even if it's just in your household, right. Thinking about, uh, you know, as you, as you relate to your wife and your children, um, you know, pray that God would help you, uh, because there is significant, uh, temptation all around. There's significant, uh, possibilities to sin. I mean, the world, the flesh and the devil are just as active as ever. Um, and yet I do want to uh, encourage everyone too that the Holy Spirit is also at work. Uh, the Holy Spirit is, I mean, e- you know, we'll see what happens in this particular situation, but even when a pastor falls, um, this is not something that God is thrown off by. Uh, and he even uses that to uh, to continue his work in mysterious ways sometimes that we can't see, but but uh, we can trust him even in the midst of, of this kind of fall. So pray for your pastors. And this is why for all of us, our Lord, when he taught us to pray, gave us this petition, deliver us from temptation. Well, Pastor Michael, we went back to true post-morteming this week. 
it was pretty heavy there yeah yeah it is but um, it's important to talk about right it's it is something that is necessary for us to talk about i think and hopefully uh, you talk about it here but also talk about it in your families talk about it with your pastor uh, with people in your church your elders and hopefully this is just a a help in doing that that's right and and if you want the lighter fare you can go find our patreon where this week we released a yay nay or nuance about communion wine and you can stay tuned if you don't want to become a patreon for some more podcasts coming to this feed which will be uh certainly of a of a different brand coming later so we'll leave you in a little suspense there thanks for listening everybody we will catch you next week